Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Ward. Hello, Eric. Let's just explain the mindset that we're both in right now. Because this is our first episode with our new partners, as you can see right here, the Varsity app. Mm. That's right. Mm. On Learfield. V is for varsity. V is for varsity. V is also for for very pissed off. <laughs> um, it has game just nothing, to, nothing to do with our new partnership with the Varsity Podcast Network. No. The game just ended seconds ago. It is Monday night, and we were recording our first intro for our new partnership. But uh, we're just going to have to kick it off by talking about what we just witnessed. And I would like to, if you don't mind, to kind of start us off, just walk through the last five possessions of regulation. Okay? Coming out of a timeout. I mean, we just lived through them. If you really want to put me through that again, I'm game. I do because, to me, it is maybe the biggest problem besides just not having enough talent. It is maybe the biggest problem. The last five possessions coming out of a timeout. Race gets the ball at the top of the key after Xavier could not get the ball into Trace in the post. And Race basically sends a telegram, a singing telegram, <laughs> airplane letters, smoke signals, and any other device you can think of to let someone know what's coming and told them he was going to make a terrible pass from the top of the key at an awful angle to Trace, who's posting up on the left block or the right block, if you will. And he turns it over. They come down. We foul them. They hit two free throws. We get the ball back. Keep in mind, we also have a timeout during this whole stretch. We run no offense. And Tamar Bates chucks a 25-foot three that had little to no chance of going in. They get the rebound. We come down and forget how to play defense. Ooh. Man, and decide that, to give up a wide open layup. That looked like Archie ball right there. That was rough. They hit a wide open layup and there's about five seconds left. And instead of calling timeout, our senior point guard dribbles somewhat slowly down the court and chucks a contested three that has no chance of going in. And whatever happened in overtime after that really doesn't matter. I think we all knew what was going to happen. Except for the part where X grabbed the guy's nuts from the backside. That, yeah, we'll that get did. into that. That was that significant. To be, that was significant. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to lose a game in overtime by 11? I mean, we just, the game was over on those five possessions. And to me, it shows what has worried me all year. 
We are undisciplined. We are not well coached. We are not fundamental. And we have a low basketball IQ as a team. And those last five possessions show that in spades. And we just pissed it away. That's all we did. We just took it out and just whizzed all over the place and said, we don't want this game. And maybe pissed away our entire season because of it. What a way to start off the new era of the Hoosier Hysterics podcast. Look, it what's old is new again. It feels very familiar. Uh, when we started uh, this podcast, things were bad. Uh, they really haven't gotten any better. This is arguably, I mean, yeah, from from because Samson's last year we were a top 10 team and the wheels came off and then what it was Crean's fourth year we were we were ranked and we were pretty good and we made the tournament so we are now in a longer drought than than that stretch of of you know just really you know not making the tournament not having the players that and this was just in our text exchange uh I was being challenged like why Ward would you ever think we were going to win this game. And first of all, I made it very clear. There was only 45 seconds where I allowed myself to think we were going to win this game. It was it was when probably we all thought we were going to win this game when we built, what, like a five-point lead with two-some minutes left to go, and it looked real good. But no, I I did not actually yell at the game during the game until there was like three and a half minutes to go. And it was just like a minute prior to that because I'm already dying inside. This losing streak has been extinguishing the flame game by game, possession by possession. And to protect myself and my family, I have been turning off the, the not just the optimism, just even the, the passion. Uh, yeah, the, just just I've, I'm like, I've got to go ahead and dial it down, dial it back um, because we've seen this before. We've seen it again and again and again. And we've got a new coach this year, but that's really the only thing that's different from what we've seen the last four years. Um, and I'm. I, I, I don't think we're going to make the tournament. I th- no, what Like, even, yes, you look at these last four games, we'll probably go two and two. We'll probably go two and two. I'd say that's possible, but I'd say we're more likely to go one and three at this point than three and one or or four and oh, because what have we seen in the last five games to suggest that we could turn it around? Nothing. Okay, I'm going to take a slightly different approach. I agree in large part with what you say. But I do think we can go three. We can win three of these last games. I mean, would you bet on it? Would you bet on it? If I had to bet whether we win three or not, man, it'd be tough. It would be tough. I I think it's like even money because, look, look. I know you can see just the derision. Just it's not. It's just it's just looking at who we have left to play and how they're playing compared to how we're playing. Well, okay, so. Let's take a step back. We just played a top 20 team. They're not that good. Okay, but but that's who we played, Ward. I mean, the truth is there aren't that many good teams in college basketball. And as Michael Lewis has said to me many times, the best evidence that we have for us being able to make the tournament this year is that they have to put 68 teams in. Yeah, that's fair. That gives us a chance, but it's also like... But let's look at this, Ward. 
we play Maryland coming up at home, our next game. They are in the Ken Palm, ranked 88th. We play Minnesota on the road, ranked 104. We play Rutgers at home, who has had a good stretch, although they just got beat pretty handily, who's ranked 71. The teams we just lost to are number 15, Illinois, who most people think could be a Final Four team. Northwestern on the road, which you almost have to throw it out because of the circumstances of that game. Would you agree there? Sure. Michigan State, 27th on the road. Wisconsin, 25th at home. We should have won that game. And Ohio State, 21 on the road. We are not losing to Schlubs, and we had this game. We had it, and Mm. we did. Those five possessions could not have gone worse for Indiana. Three possessions where we either turn it over or basically turn it over, and two possessions on offense for them where where we give them four points. We are not a good basketball team. I give you that. I I don't even think we're an average basketball team. No, we are. We're we're a mediocre basketball team that can have good days. We're, We're in the bottom half of the Big Ten. Yes, but that doesn't mean you're not a mediocre basketball team. It, it it's all it's all relative. Like you, we can't sit here and say it's definitively one way or another. But we are in the bottom half of the Big Ten, careening towards the bottom third. That's right where we expect to be now as an Indiana basketball right. program. You're absolutely right. I do want to compare. We are basically the team that we were in 2020 when COVID ended the season. Just to put it in some context, right now. We have the 118th ranked offense, which is atrocious. It's just atrocious. The offense is terrible. And we have the 17th ranked defense. In 2020, we had the 65th best offense, so better by 50 spots. Significantly. And the 26th best offense, so a little worse. And that team team finished the Big Ten season at 9 and 11. And most people thought they were going to make We were going to make the tournament that year. So that is basically where we are. We're not good, and we need an upgrade in talent for sure. The the thing that was most stark to me in watching the end of this game as I watched Liddell hit the turnaround baseline shot and Branham just get whatever he wanted, you know, was that, well, hell, they've got two guys on their team that they can just give the ball to and they can create shots. Our last five, three possessions on offense, we don't have that. Yeah, you can see it in Tamar. It's coming with Tamar. It'll it'll probably start to be there more consistently next year. Um, but no, there's nobody else that it's like, here, just go figure it out. No. Um, what's compounding my frustration, and I'm about to boil over, is that the IU women's basketball team, who had an 11-point lead at halftime against Iowa, and we need to win this game to have any shot at winning the Big Ten, is now losing by four in the fourth quarter, as mm-hmm. they have now basically collapsed in the last several games. Mackenzie Holmes' injury set them back, but... They crapped the bed against Iowa at home, and now they are in the process of blowing a game on the road. But back to our team. The thing that worries me the most is just the lack of discipline and the lack of being able to execute coming out of timeouts at the end of the game. And it seemed like our coach did not have his arms wrapped around the team. We had a timeout. Call the timeout. If you see the offense isn't working, With 10 seconds, 12 seconds left in the shot clock, call a timeout to run some action. If you're not confident that X is going to sprint down and go to the hole with five seconds left, call the timeout and set up something, something. And we just have low basketball IQ as a team. 
We are not fundamentally sound. We are not highly skilled. We fought like hell tonight. And I know you don't like me saying it, but we did. We fought like hell and we have nothing to show for it except a big fat loss. I don't think the season is lost though. Not yet. Uh, I would, I would bet, um, I don't know, a thousand dollars that we won't make the tournament. We, you will bet me a thousand dollars right now. No. Yeah. No way. Should you do that? By the way, <laughs> look, I just don't gamble. I'm not. I'm not going to bet a thousand dollars on anything, no matter how sure I am. But I'm just like, you know. And look, this is all part of protecting myself and my emotions and my feelings, and just trying to go ahead and stamp out any ember, any glowing flame of hope that might reside deep in my heart, because it just, you know, like it's even watching this game, like just being like, no, no, my blood pressure is not going to rise. I don't believe, even though we're staying in it, that we're really going to win it. No, I'm not going to let him do this to me again three and a half minutes to go oh, oh, oh okay yeah here we go all right yeah we're gonna do it we got a good chance and then then they do that and then they do that and then it hurts way worse because i allowed myself to let that flame turn into an inferno for a few moments and i'm i i i can't I can't do it anymore. I can't like I will just hang back and I'll like kind of make something in my kitchen and oh oh what Everybody, welcome to our first episode with our new partnership. Somebody who we need to give us something to make us not just jump into traffic. Please welcome former Big Ten Player of the Year, one of the all-time greats, the last man to lead us to the championship game in a Final Four in a Big Ten Championship in 2002. Please welcome Jared Jeffrey. Dude, I have one question for you, and it's What's just up? three words. What? The fuck. Man, I, I was talking to um, somebody yesterday, and I think the the Northwestern situation really put you in a tailspin. It couldn't have happened at the worst point in the season. And you look back and you need that game. So, I, you know, you never want to sacrifice your integrity for the season, but, like, to have all those guys sit down, if you could, if you could have got a couple of those guys that win that game, now you have a chance. I mean, now I don't think you make the tournament. I think, I think the tournament is out now, unless you make a big run in a Big Ten tournament. Yep. I agree with you, Jared. I think we're cooked. Five minutes ago, Ward said he would bet me $1,000 that Indiana would not make the tournament. And I said, okay, you're going to bet me $1,000. I never said I would bet Eric $1,000. I said I would bet $1,000, not you specifically. Oh, but then I made it a reality. Because if I put it out there generically, I don't have to follow through on it. (laughs) Jared, what... Is there anything you can give us to feel good about what's happening in the program? Um, oh, man, that's not a good sign. <laughs> He's thinking hard. The, well, I think that this was supposed to be expected. And the problem with expectations are the beginning of the year, you came out, you played well against bad teams, and you thought that, that, hey, if, wait, if wait, we wait, can wait. Time out, time out, Jared. I think you need to check your pronouns. I don't like you saying you played okay. <laughs> Let's replace you with we, 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 my friend. We, what in we, the hell was that? <laughs> when they when they win, it's us. Yeah. When they, when they lose, it's y'all. <laughs> what, are y'all what are y'all doing out there? Get it together. <laughs> 
Oh, man, sorry. So I interrupted you, but no. you said you were winning against bad teams. Yeah. So, so you you have to believe with your record in the in the you know pre-conference things, and then when you're also able to pair a couple, if you can get a couple lucky wins like you did against Purdue, Ohio State earlier in the year, you take care of business against Northwestern. You got to beat Penn State. You got to beat Nebraska. And that's that's those are the games that we've lost that kill us. Like you can't you can't beat Purdue and then lose to Michigan by 15. Right. You know what I mean? So right. that's kind of what the program is. And I think also too, it's also a learning experience for Woody, man. Like the college year is a long season, man. Like it's not the NBA where you have whole days off. You do this because you're always recruiting. You're always doing booster stuff. You're always there's something. So there is a level of fatigue and an adjustment process to being a college coach. Um, Jared, I, 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 for the record, I don't feel any better at all. No, that didn't make <laughs> us feel any better. No, that didn't make us feel any better. Um, I got to ask you, what's your take on Juwan Howard bitch slapping the Wisconsin assistant coach? We got to get your take on that. You know Juwan, I assume. You've run into yeah. him throughout your years in the NBA. What yeah. in the world was that? Listen, I love, love, love Juwan. Um, but Juwan is from the south side of Chicago, man. And Juwan's a big man. And if you go back over Juwan's whole career, he was not playing. Like, guys didn't mess with him. There was no dust-ups. Juwan has the pointer finger about 10 inches long. And Juwan, he'll go like he always did. He'll go like this to you, and it stopped. Whatever, whatever, whatever you were saying, this was it. And you were like, I don't want no more problems, buddy. He did that to Greg Guard. He did yeah. do the finger yeah, point he to did. Greg Guard. He did. He did it. He did, he did a detergent last year. We went out the detergent. He went. He pointed like he's always his pointer finger. When this thing gets, gets activated, he's coming for blood. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, if you were on his team and your coach slapped the opposing coach, how do you think you would have reacted in that moment? Would you have used that as a oh, moment to go deck throwing, Brad Davison? I'm, I'm throwing haymakers. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he smacked that coach. Who's the best player on Wisconsin? The Davis kid? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm going right for him. Wherever he is, me and him, <laughs> we're going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Toe -to -toe. So so you, you're handed the, the reins. Like, Jared, you need to get us into the tournament. Just step into the locker room here. Step into practice. You're the one who's going to get us through these four games in the Big Ten tournament to get us into the NCAAs. What do you do? What do you say? What are you installing in practice? What are you instilling in these players to like perform a you miracle got, at this point? You got to get everybody's confidence back up. You have to get the players' confidence back up. I would implement almost the rule that everybody shoots their first good shot. Hey, man, listen, man, we got nothing to lose at this point. Because what happens a lot of times right now is because we do struggle shooting the ball, we'll pass up a good shot, and that next good shot's not coming. Now you get down to 10 seconds on the shot clock, and you take a worse shot than you have a 20 on the shot clock. I would really try to speed the pace up more. I would put Trace in more movement. I wouldn't post him up as much. He's really struggled with double teams without having shooting around him. So I, I, that's what I would try to do, man, is, is pick the game up, speed the pace up, and hopefully get more points on the board. Where are you right now? I'm at, I'm at Outback with my big girl. <laughs> nice! <laughs> do we have a blooming onion? Do we have a blooming onion on the table? Well, we got, yeah. we got those steaks. We got cheese fries. Rob, you're crushing mm. it. Mm. Very nice. Mm -hmm. All right, listen. 
this was our first podcast with our new podcast network. We needed to get a friend of the show on to talk us off the ledge. You did not do that <laughs> at all. But we love you, and you're always a friend of the show. So go enjoy. Thanks, guys. Your daughter, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, brother. That was a guest. That was a guest. It the substance of what he said did nothing to make me feel better. I think you're with me on that. Oh, no. It, it was the, more of an explanation of the state of affairs rather than any sort of silver lining optimism moving forward. But seeing Jared and talking to Jared and having him on the show and having him make us laugh does make me feel better as a person, and now I won't take it out on Dog Cheney. See, I, I was feeling better while Jared was with us, but now I'm right back to it's just you, <laughs> and I feel like garbage again. <laughs> uh, just so you know, Indiana women down by five with one minute and 18 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And with it will disappear their um, Big, Big Ten, Ten championship hopes. hopes. By the way, I just used a Jared. I said there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh man, I, I yeah, I just It's trying... what you said, we are right back where we were when we started this thing. That's what it feels like. It feels like it is hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And that's where we were when we started this. It's this hard. is this is my thought process process during the game. Oh, I thought you were like abbreviating it like you're some cool hipster. Yeah, my, my thought, thought process. Pros. This is my thought process, bro. <laughs> <laughs> is um during the game, during which of including overtime, there was 45 seconds where I thought we would win. So in all this other expanse of time where I was convinced we were going to lose, I was thinking about the defense and that we are not particularly talented, period. Uh, it's more obvious on the offensive side of the ball. That's always where a lack of talent shows up first. Like, we just can't Good shoot. Point. We haven't been able to shoot for years, but... Like this and we can't create. Now, and we can't create. So that l l lost cause with our current personnel and what what the coaches are trying to do with said personnel, lost cause. We've got to hope the cavalry's coming as far as guys who can create their own shot at all the different levels. But what we have now is with five games, four games left to go in the Big Ten Conference, we still have what looks to be the top defense in the conference. And if we're getting better talent uh, in. Breaking news. We're number two in the conference in defense after today's game. Okay. I, kn I knew we were hanging on for dear life. Breaking news. and But good news. We are second worst offense. Yeah. See, there you go. So I think if we get better talent in, the offense gets better. Like maybe we'll be like the seventh best offense or the ninth best offense in the league. And then if our defense it can be year in and year out a, a very top defense in the league, then then I think we're competing in the top third of the Big Ten instead of the bottom third, which we've gotten so used to. But this is where my mind's at right now is just hoping that, okay, if this team isn't it and this team is not it, then is this coach it and what could we take from what he's done? That's positive because I'm trying to make myself not crazy. And it's like, well, it's, it's this defense has held up pretty well. Um, it wasn't just predicated upon these 290th ranked opponents in the pre-conference. This is now well into the season. 
Um, but that's that's kind of slim pickings for this time of the year when we all hoped we'd be talking about what our seed would be, not if we're going to get a seed, like how high up into the double digits will it be? Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, I will say, uh, you know, the defense today, it was fine. It was good enough to win the game. Clearly, the defense was good enough to win the game. And the defense, for the most part, has, like you said, it's been yeah. really good. It's been good enough to win games. Yeah. The lack of imagination on offense, the lack of progressive thinking on how to play with a group of players that does lack overall talent. You know, I was having this conversation recently that what is coaching? What is good coaching? Good coaching is maximizing strengths and minimizing your weaknesses and not punching other coaches and not punch. Well, I mean, look, then Juwan was successful because he <laughs> did not punch him. I heard, I heard like NBA Twitter calls that a mush. We should ask Jared what that five finger slap push thing was called. A mush. I mean, giant hand. That's what I, I mean, he, like he could palm his head. And, and um, that, that assistant coach, not a small guy. No, I, by the way, no one's talking about this that I saw. I was very impressed that that dude did not flinch. That thing came across his head and he just snapped right back. I was I think, impressed by that. I think it was so fast. He didn't even realize what had happened till it was over. I love after that, the then closing the fist. <laughs> it's a little bit of a wrestling move, by the way. <laughs> yeah. In wrestling, there are guys learning to punch in wrestling is very difficult because you want it to look real. And a lot of guys can't do it. It's not real. Well, we'll spend a whole lot. That's episode two of our new partnership <laughs> okay. is wrestling real. But a lot of guys will slap, you know, they'll wind up, they'll slap. And then when they come through, they close it so that it looks like on camera, it's a punch or for the people in the crowd. Anyway, I, it did occur to me, Ward, that I think we should just spend a minute telling if anybody is listening to this for the first time on our new network, who we are and what we do real quick. Sure, sure. Um, because so far, they're probably ready to blow their brains out. Listening well, to we probably lost them several minutes ago. I am Eric Pankowski. I am Ward Roberts, and we are the, the Hoosier, Hoosier Hysterics. And that says it all. We're <laughs> Hoosiers, and we're hysterical. Now, I'm not saying we're funny. Okay, no. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying we're lunatics. Yeah. And if, if, if the name of our team was the Losers, which it might be, mm -hmm. but if it was the Losers, we would be the Loser Lunatics. Okay, so... Hysterics, the, the alliteration was too good to pass up. And what you get on this show is really two things. You get emotional, hot takes, unhinged, hopefully entertaining opinions on everything going on with Indiana basketball and a lot of other stuff, too. You might hear about bathroom habits. You might hear about Ward's hair products. You might hear, what else, Ward? What else do we talk about? Food choices? Way too much about cigars. Cigars is going to come up a lot. Cigars, the Colts. You'll hear stuff about the Colts, whether you want to or not. Yeah, I mean, it's the off season, so unless they make a big move at quarterback, there's probably not going to be too much Colts talk. Oh, you're going to, please. He's going to make some trade for some sixth-round offensive lineman, and you're going to go nuts telling me how good he is for the locker room and the culture. What? what? Yeah. You're going to say how genius he Look, is, the character guys. What's his name? Ballard? 
Yeah, well, look, I mean, the man's had one playoff win in five years, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to be talking too much about Ballard here until he's earned it. All right. So what you get is you get a little bit of that at the top of the show. Then you get a long-form interview with someone connected to Indiana University Athletics. Primarily, we have focused on basketball. We talked to the greats of the past, the players of the present. And every once in a while, we get to talk to a recruit who is committed for the future. And we have expanded. We'll talk about IU women's basketball. We'll talk about IU football. We've talked to people like Mark Cuban and Sage Steele. We even talked to Jeff Van Gundy. That was uh, random. It was random, but it was fun. Oh, we also debated Jay Billis once. That was pretty cool. We did debate Jay Billis. Some people are asking for us to have Jeff Goodman on the show. And you know what? I don't want to. I mean, I don't like, I don't like him. Again, as we said before, this is this is how I would feel if we had Tyra Buss back on the show. I'm like, yeah, we could have Goodman on the show if he was okay with me just being legitimately mean to him the entire time. Not like in a good-natured ribbing way, but just really aggressive. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Now, you know his daughter committed to Indiana. Well, yes, and there are a lot of good jokes to be made there. Okay, but we're not going to do any of those because it's our <laughs> first episode and we don't want to be canceled right off the bat. So listen, every week we're going to come to you. We're going to give us give you our unvarnished, unhinged, unfiltered opinions on all things IU and other things. And then we're going to talk to, more often than not, just an absolute stud of a person. And that could not be more true than our guest today, who we have been holding a little bit because we knew that this deal with the Varsity Podcast app and with our friends at Learfield was coming to fruition. And we wanted to start off with an absolute legend of legends. And that's who we have today. He is everything we are not. You paused there. Did you think I was going to continue? No, that was for dramatic effect. Oh, that was good. That was really good. Now, we also typically at this point would say we would have some clever in and say that we love that we are now powered by. But we don't know exactly if we're powered by Varsity Podcast Network, Learfield, or maybe a partner that's going to come on and be part of the show. So usually we do a, a siren call. Should I do varsity podcast app siren call? Briefly. Well, now, because <laughs> you said that you're screwed. So Ward, our new era of Hoosier hysterics is powered by varsity podcast no it doesn't like it okay. it doesn't like it it, it doesn't, doesn't look like zoom, zoom doesn't like it whether it's it was the old siren call or the new siren call zoom doesn't like it I think it's fair to say Zoom doesn't like me just in general. I don't think it has anything to do with the podcast siren call. Uh, look, Ward, this guy that we get to talk to today is so connected to Indiana basketball and Indiana football. There really is no one that is his peer, maybe in the history of either program because no. of what he has meant to millions. Uh, you agree there? Yeah, I, no, I think this man is absolutely singular in the history of Indiana University sports. Well, we 
I was trying to do a turn of like singular and it just didn't work. That's also what you're going to get on this show. We're, we're, we're plural. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know. It's, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't good. It wasn't quick. It wasn't smart. But I mean, look, that's that's this show. That's us. Here's so, what I do know. What? There will be better days ahead for Indiana University basketball. Mm. There will be. I have confidence. Yes, I have confidence and faith, and they're going to come sooner rather than later. Really? And when they do come, there is no one that I would rather hear talk about those better and brighter days than the person we are talking to today. So with that beautiful transition, if I might say so myself. You've done better. (laughs) By the way, the women lost tonight. 88 to 82. What a brutal night. I got to go outside and smoke a cigar the size of a, you know, elephant trunk. What did you think I was going to say? I don't know. I'm just kind of like hanging on for dear life with you right now. It's that we're kind of going off the rails and I don't know if we're going to land in a ditch or worse. I've got a hangnail that is killing me right now. Oh, this is this is good radio. (laughs) Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is a thrill. This is an honor. This is going to make it so clear what Eric and I lack (laughs) in professionalism, in coolness, in anything you can name. Eric, please tell our guests. uh, I'm sorry. Please tell our listeners. See, I'm flustered. Like I'm flustered. I I knew that's this just was because it's early. You're you're not used to being up this early. That's no, no. It it's the caliber of our guest. It's really gotten to me. Uh, please take over. Hailing from our neighboring state, there in Illinois, this gentleman started his career in broadcasting, where he had various stops in Butte, Montana, Ottawa, Illinois, Terre Haute, in. Indiana, and then, of course, Indianapolis, Indiana. He came to Indiana University Radio at the age of 26 years old in 1973, coming up on his 50th season doing Indiana University athletics. He has been at IU through nine football coaches, six basketball coaches. He has broadcast nearly 2,000 Indiana University games. He is the Indiana Sports Announcer of the Year 31 times. He has been awarded the J.W. Bill Orwig Medal, the Bicentennial Medal. He is an honorary I-man. He is one of eight inductees into the Indiana Broadcast Pioneers Richard M. Fairbanks Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association Hall of Fame in 2004. I love him because he does have a connection to... uh, something in my hometown, St. Louis, with the old broadcaster Harry Carey when he called Cardinals games, but we'll get into that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are simply talking to one of the most important and beloved people in the history of Indiana University athletics. For so many of us, he is the voice, the personality, the brand of Indiana University basketball and football. Please welcome, and it is our honor to say welcome to the great and legendary Don Fisher. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, you know what all that means? What's I'm that? I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that that may be, but that's a good old. I would take that old any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Uh, sir, how are you? 
I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, I had COVID a few weeks back and uh, survived that with no problems. And uh, I did have to do three virtual broadcasts again, which I swore I'd never do again. But mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you have to do what you got to do. Uh, all that said, uh, we're doing really well. And uh, our family's doing really well. And that's all you can really ask of anything in life. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. After almost 50 years of doing this, you've got another game tonight. What's what's the pre-game preparation, the ritual? How do you get ready to do what you do? Well, I'm, as you guys know, in any kind of preparation, uh, that that's the key to whatever you're doing. And you've got to prepare. Uh, every ball game requires you to do your homework. Um, it always involves a lot of reading. Um, certainly, you go to websites now. I used to do it through newspapers, uh, uh, things like that online. But uh, everything has changed. All the technology has helped a lot. I, I'm I'm the most technical, illiterate person you've ever met, um, <laughs> and I barely can do a lot of it. But nevertheless, it does help me. Um, and it's it's been great in the sense of cutting down the time frame in which it takes to get ready for a ball game now. But it, it requires a lot of reading, obviously. Uh, you have to go through uh, press releases, media, uh, game notes, things like that. And most of it you can do online these days, and you don't have to go through a, a person. Uh, you know, sports information directors used to be the, the key to right. what we do, you know, from a play-by-play standpoint. Um, but not not that they aren't still because they still put together these game notes and all those kinds of things, stats, and, and update everything that way. But um, you no longer have to make phone calls and wait for somebody to call you back and those kinds of things for the most part. Uh, I still try to get an interview with um, the opposing coach for every ball game if they will do it. Some Almost everybody in the Big Ten does it. I think there's one exception at this point. I'll not point him out. He doesn't deserve recognition. Um, (laughs) Start guessing. (laughs) (laughs) But most of these guys are great about it. Uh, They almost always do these interviews uh, unless there's some kind of a problem. Um, And most of them will do it uh, in the past, have done it at the arena, a day of game, that kind of thing. So. These guys are very helpful in that regard. I'm talking about the coaches now, and um, and most of them do it. Football has been the, the strangest thing. I used to think that football coaches were the easiest to deal with, um, but now a lot of football coaches won't do these opposing radio interviews. Hmm. Uh, why? Do you have any idea why that has changed? I, I guess they're just too busy. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. it, it, I mean, and I know that their time is valuable. I understand all that. But they also, they do those interviews with television. Right. Um, they, they always do those interviews. Uh, so radio has always been the little redheaded stepchild in, in broadcasting anyway. So uh, that's what we deal with. And it's not that big a deal. At the same time, it is a pet peeve, so to speak. I get it. <laughs> sure. Uh, Look, you've done almost 2,000 IU games. You have seen the best of the best on the basketball side uh, back in the 70s and and obviously the three national championships that you've covered. Um, You have seen great uh, Indiana football games, and you've seen some really good Indiana football seasons. 
what is it that keeps you excited to do a Tuesday night game against Wisconsin for a team that is seven and seven in the Big Ten in your 49th going on 50th season? What is it that still gets you going? Uh, I got into this business to do play by play. Um, and as you know, uh, in well, may, maybe you don't, but in broadcasting, you don't start out as a play-by-play man. Right. You start out as whatever they want you to do, yeah. uh, which could be an announcer. It, uh, literally, my first job in Butte, Montana, I was a disc jockey. Yes. My, yes. my shift, and, and, and the younger people listening to this probably don't even know what a disc jockey is, but <laughs> that said, uh, we played the music, and uh, it was a top 40 radio station. Um, what was a favorite track you played as a DJ? Uh, track? There were no tracks. We played, <laughs> played records. You played records, man. Your, fa- your favorite vinyl. What What was a hit of the day that you remember playing in Montana? Oh, we did. We did all kinds of things. I, I started. My first job was in 68, uh, 60, 68, 67, 68. and um, <laughs> we. we th- this is the funniest thing. Uh, the McCoys, Hang On, Sloopy. Yeah. Uh, the safaris, wipeout, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of uh, uh, those were the days of uh, surfer music and all that kind of thing. Yeah. My one of my favorite groups was always the Beach Boys, and of course the Beatles were huge at that time. Um, and I wa- I used to listen to WLS. I come from Illinois, um, and WLS in Chicago was the rock and roll radio station in that era. And I'm talking about sixties, seventies. Uh, it was a giant uh, and a 50,000 watt radio station. You could hear it throughout the, a lot of the country without obviously all the Midwest. Uh, anyway, those disc jockeys, when I went to Butte, Montana, Butte, Montana is on the other side of the Continental Divide. They, never, <laughs> I mean, they, they paid no attention to Chicago. They'd never heard of I mean, they knew where Chicago was, that kind of thing. But those people out there, copper miners, cowboys, and Indians. Yeah. <laughs> And that's not a knock on those folks because right. I love them. And my experience there was phenomenal. I was there for about 15 months in Butte. But um, in those days, um, the music was uh, rock and roll, obviously, that kind of thing. And the disc jockeys that I'd listened to growing up in Chicago uh, on WLS, I just copied everything they did. You know, I went out there. I was uh, I wasn't Larry Lujak. I wasn't that good. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, I, I tried to copy a lot of the things those guys did. And in that's in broadcasting, even in sports broadcasting and play by play. There's nothing original anymore. Everybody's done it. Somebody's done it at some place. And you've heard everybody do it. So basically, it boils down to your style and figuring out what your style might be. But did you copy, did you have a radio DJ voice that is different from the Don Fisher voice that we have all come to love? Probably. I mean, I (laughs) I can't even remember. I don't even have tapes of my uh, announcing back in those days. I, I do have... I do have the games that I, the early games that I did in, in play by play back in Ottawa, Illinois. That's my first sportscasting job, but uh, I I don't have tapes of of the announcing I did as a disc jockey. I never saved that stuff. I thought ah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's not going to be. It's not me. So at any rate, um, um, so I didn't save it. But I I tried to act like you know. Uh, Clark Weber or whoever the case may be, right. whoever I was listening to at the time, uh, there were guys that you tried to emulate that type of thing. So at any rate, being a disc jockey was fun. 
Uh, in fact, here's the best story about Butte, Montana, and yes. how far away it is from real civilization, <laughs> or at least it was at that time. We had two groups come in um, and had concerts, and the groups were supposedly the McCoys and the Safaris. Okay. And those two groups came in and did they and our radio station hosted them, and we were the MCs for the program, that kind of thing. I didn't know this because these groups were really good. Yeah. But they were both bogus groups. <laughs> really? They were both. Bogus. They, these were groups that were just copycat type groups. You know what I'm saying? But you build them as the real thing. Well, I didn't, but oh, their right. radio station did, and I didn't know the difference. I didn't know what these guys looked like or anything like that. It's, I'm just up there, you know, introducing them and those kinds of things and their music. Uh, it's the daggondest thing you've ever seen. It was amazing. And these so, and these kids, they didn't know the difference. Right, they were happy. No clue. They were just, they loved the concerts, you know. They didn't pay a lot of money to get in, as obviously they wouldn't. Right. Group, you know what I mean? Uh, all that said, it was just a fun time and uh, a great experience out there. And then, of course, I got back into the sports part. Of it. Yeah, so we, we went on a tangent there, but you were answering the question of what still gets you excited about a ah. random Tuesday game. And, and you, you went on the story of you didn't yes. you didn't start as a as a play-by-play guy. Yeah, well, I always ram. I ramble a lot, guys. We love it. I you mean, are we can listen to it all day. The, the right <laughs> show for that, sir. <laughs> well, at any rate, the, the reason uh, I got into radio was to do play-by-play because I always enjoyed listening to Harry. Harry Carey was one of my favorites. Uh, he was in St. Louis at the time. Um, I, I, we, there were so many different guys. Dan Kelly for the St. Louis the Blues, Blues was the best one of the greatest announcers I've ever heard because he could control the excitement with his voice, his inflection. He was a guy that I listened to constantly to figure out why I had this problem at, in my early days of absolutely going absolutely nuts. And <laughs> you're not able to understand a word I said. You know? <laughs> and and it, so you, what you're doing is you're learning through these types of people. And so I got into this business to do play-by-play because I loved it. I loved the sound of it. I loved the excitement of it. Um, And that's what still excites me about doing it today. I love doing play-by-play. It's not just the games. It's not just the teams. It's just the excitement of doing play-by-play and being a part of it. Because you are a part of it. When you're explaining yes. it, when you're doing it for a listener, you're trying to explain what's going on. You're trying to generate that same excitement that everybody in the building is feeling or that negativity, supposedly, what everybody is feeling, but doing it in a proper way, in an objective way. Um, it's just fun. It radio, Doing radio play-by-play, play, if, if it was anything else in this business, I would not be in it. I would not be – it's just not – it. you know, it's not me. But doing play-by-play – and I grew up not as a great athlete or anything like that, but I played a lot of sports. I have a twin brother, um, and, and we grew up playing a lot of baseball, that kind of thing, and then we got into basketball and we got into football, uh, you know, just like all kids do. And, and back in the day, we – my experience as a young kid is the best because we got to go out and play – outside, yeah. 10 blocks away from our houses, things like that. You didn't worry about it. Small towns, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you didn't have the restrictions that you have today with that kids have. 
they can't grow up like we did. And, right. and that's sad to me. It really, truly is. But we had such a great experience growing up in that regard. And we just had fun. And, and sports to me was fun. And so I was a bad high school student. Um, I, I, I could have been a decent student if I would have cared. But, <laughs> and, and, you know, when I speak to college classes or something like that, I always feel guilty because the professor's sitting up there and going, what did I bring this guy in for? <laughs> and he likes school. <laughs> so, He's telling them all to bail on it. Exactly. Yeah. But, but the truth of the matter is, um, when you when you uh, enjoy something, if you can get into that, if that's your profession, if it becomes your profession, how can that be better? You know. Right. And right. did it. That's why play by play to me has been the most important thing. I left Terre Haute radio station at the end of the football season in 1973, 1972, my apology, I left that radio station because the station had become, it was going to become, where we did the sports on the FM side, it was going to become a all-intensive music radio station. Mm. The owner who had bought the station changed the format. Sports was out I was going to get to do like a sports cast a day and maybe one game a week or something like that in Terre Haute. And I said, I can't stay here. And so I literally went back to the very first radio station, the station in Ottawa, Illinois, that hired me for my first sports ca- first sportscasting job. And the guy that was the program director when I was there the first time was now the general manager. Mm-hmm. And I called him up and I said, you know, if anything, I, I've got to get a job here for this winter. I can't stop doing play-by-play for a whole winter that would kill me so at any rate he goes yeah you can come back here and teach the high school kid we're using as our play-by-play guy right now and he can sell for me if you want to do that I'll hire you back and so he did and Mm -hmm. that's where and that was the job I had before I got the job at Indiana and and that job was sales manager as well I wasn't the sales manager trust me (laughs) nobody would put me in charge of sales That is that would never happen because I was the worst salesperson in the world. Except, I would go out and sell every game that we did, and they they said if you can get a hundred bucks in this broadcast, then we'll do it. So I would get a hundred bucks for every, and I got I I I went out and sold the crap out of. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that was uh, literally how you got the games on the air. Was you yes. had to go get advertising revenue yes. to subsidize it. Yes. That that seven or eight months that I spent there at that radio station in that position was sales and play by play. It was that that was it. Wow. <laughs> Let's uh, I know there was a, a very important uh partner in crime if you will uh through the Terre Haute days and Joe Tate who went on to do pretty darn well for himself. Can you talk a little bit about the way your your paths crossed and how important that was to to get you where you are today? Well, they actually crossed in Ottawa. Um, um, the radio station was purchased. I, I, every place I went, they sold the radio station and somebody else came in. Um, at you got you to take a hint. I mean, you, exactly. you show up, they sell the station. Exactly. <laughs> so at any rate, in when I was uh, the first time I was in Ottawa, Illinois, uh, a guy came in and bought the radio station. His name was Bob Harris. And he was at WJBC in Bloomington, Illinois, or WIOK in Bloomington, Illinois. That's the station he had come from, and he had been a partial owner in that radio station. And he bought WOLI, Woolly Radio. Trust me, bad call letters. (laughs) uh, At any rate, he bought that radio station in Ottawa. And uh, so he came, 
and the first this is my first year in sportscasting play by play and um <laughs> at any rate uh mr harris decided well we had a st- we had a our st- this is all complicated because it it's it's in you, you got to explain it but sure. the radio station itself um had a seat at the state finals okay and this is my first year now in play by play and this radio station had a seat at the state finals um the station that he came from, WIOK in Bloomington, did not have a seat. Hmm. And Joe Tate was the play-by-play guy for WIOK in Bloomington, Illinois. I never met him. Bob Harris tells me, he says, look, in those days, the Illinois State High School Tournament was a two-day event, Friday and Saturday, four games each day. Hmm. So he said, I want you, you – we have a seat at, this, at the state finals in Assembly Hall in Champaign – he said, I want you to go down there, join Joe Tate. This is the guy that worked in Bloomington. And he said, you two guys will do the state finals, each of you doing a game and then one doing the color and flip-flopping, and you go through the, the eight ball games in that vein. I said, okay, fine with me. And I'd never done the state finals or anything like that, and I'm just learning. So I get down there, and I meet Joe Tate. This guy takes me under his wing. Um I'm listening to the guy. I let him do the first ball game, and I'm listening to this guy, and I went, oh, crap. (laughs) I I am going to be doing play-by-play with a guy that's fantastic, in my opinion, at that point in my career. And um, But I said, hey, this is a great learning experience. So Joe Tate and I did eight ball games. I did four as the play-by-play and four as color. He did four as play-by-play and four as color. Um, I'm sure he thought I stunk, and I didn't care. All I know is I was learning from one of the best, and at least one of the best people I had ever heard at that point. And um, he was terrific, and he was he he became a friend. Uh, and then the iron, irony thing of this is when I I got I, when I left Ottawa, I went to Springfield, Illinois. They hired me to be their sports director, and I was going to develop a sports program for WMAY in Springfield, Illinois. Okay, I get hired by a guy named John Coleman. John Coleman, uh, five weeks after he hires me to to develop this sports program at WMAY, gets another job, and he goes to KMOX in in, uh, St. Louis. St. Louis, at the big station. He was an operations guy and a sales guy, and he went there as a sales guy. So I'm left there. Now a new operations manager is hired, and who is it? It's the morning man. J. Martin K. was his name. J. Martin K. comes to me two days after John Coleman leaves, and he's the new operations manager or program director, whatever you want to call him. And he goes, we're not going to do sports like uh, John Coleman said. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we're not going to develop a sports program here. We're basically a music radio station, um, and that's – I don't want to do a lot of sports. He said, you can do a sports show a day or that kind of thing. Primarily, basically the same thing that the guy who yeah. brought the Terre station did. It was essentially the same thing, same same feeling about it. So I'm getting, I'm sitting there, and I've only been there three months. And I said, well, I said, Jay, I can't do this. I said, I was hired to develop a sports program. He goes, well, we're not doing it that way. If, uh, if you don't like it, you could leave. Oh. So I said, okay. <laughs> and I started looking for a job. And I called Joe Tate. 
and this is like a year and a half after two years after we had met and talked and we, you know, kept in touch. And I called Joe and I said, Joe, I said, you aren't going to believe. And I told him the story. He goes, well, he says, I need to tell you something. I've been in Terre Haute now for a year and a half. He said, and I've got a chance maybe to be the a voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins or the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> Cavaliers' very first season that they right. came into existence. Mm. I said, what will you know? He says, well, I'm going to get one or the other. I'm going to get one or the other of these jobs. He said, why don't you come down here and, and I'll hire you to be my replacement. Mm. I went to Terre Haute. Uh, he hired me to be his replacement. Uh, about three weeks after I got there, he got the job with the Cavaliers. He took off, and the rest is history. Joe Tate became the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers and did have a hiatus, I think, of a year or two during his time there. He didn't get along with the owner of 3WE, really? uh, whoever the, the radio station that was so powerful mm-hmm. in Cleveland. And that guy, they had a new owner come in there, and he basically opted out for a year, or I think it was a year, uh, maybe it was two. But at any rate, Joe was there and out of a job for a year because – he and the owner didn't get along, the new owner that came in there. And then they forced the new owner to hire him back because he was wow. that good. Now, how did you get from Terre Haute to WIRE in Indianapolis? Well, I went back from Terre Haute when they stopped the sports program in the area, went back to Ottawa, Illinois, got the job that I've already explained. And yep. then uh, I started hunting jobs. And it was a five-month period. Uh, and it wasn't quite that long. It was about a three-month period. Um and I started hunting jobs in the spring, that May of 73, and uh, after the basketball season was over with. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, uh, there were like five different jobs I applied for. I went and interviewed for the job at WJBC in Bloomington, Illinois. This is not the same radio station, but with a guy named Don Munson. And I went and interviewed with him. He was the first guy I interviewed with, uh, and he wanted to hire me on the spot. But the problem was I had, I had also sent a tape and resume to Eugene, Oregon, uh, for the KUGN uh, radio there, which was the voice of the Oregon Ducks. Mm. And I had also applied for a job with WIRE in Indianapolis through my former boss in Terre Haute who called me and told me that the job was actually open, the Indiana job was open, and I, had even, I didn't even know about it. Wow. And and I and I was one of the last. I when I talked to my old boss, I said, "Well, how long has this job been open? Uh, how many applications have they gotten?" He said, "I don't know for sure, but he says I know that they probably got well over two hundred people that have applied for this job at Indiana because there's it's such a popular gig, so to speak." And he said, "But I will check with the general manager to see if they're still taking tapes and resumes." Thank God they were. I might have been the last guy. I've always said this. I might have been the last guy that had applied for that job, and I would bet you money. If you went through 200 or 250 resumes, whatever it may have been, and tapes and all that kind of stuff, you just went, they all sound alike to me. Let's just hire this guy. <laughs> just the last guy they heard. And I, on and top I, of the pile. I, I think that's that's how I got the – I don't know if that's true or not, but sure. that's what I've always told people because how do you get a gig – uh, with through 200 plus people that have applied for a job like that and Don Nelson who was the general manager at WIRE at the time we had a reunion with that radio station uh, uh, three years ago mm-hmm. and w- I went to this reunion with Mr. Nelson in, in uh, 19 or three years ago in Nashville 
And he said, I, he swore up and down that they had over 275 uh, people that applied wow. for that job. Now, when you were job hunting and, 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 and looking for different things, did the popularity of the programs you would be covering factor in at all? Was it living, uh, you know, conditions? Was it the city? Because, I mean, you're looking at Indianapolis versus Oregon. I mean, very different. What was your kind of calculus as you were trying to find a job? And, and what were the factors that you were weighing? I just wanted to get someplace. I, I, I always, every move that I made, I tried to make an upward move. Okay. Okay. I mean, just like you go from Butte, Montana as a disc jockey. I go back to Mendota, Illinois, where I was, where I was living at the time and, and got the job in Ottawa. Ottawa was my first sports casting job. It was an even smaller radio station than the Butte station was. I mean, the Butte station was at least in a town of 40,000 people at the time. And this station in Ottawa, which was a town of 18,000 people at that point, and had two radio stations in it. One was an AM, one was an FM, and the FM was the weak sister of the two. And I, I hired on as the weak sister of the two uh, <laughs> radio station because I was just a first-time guy in play-by-play. And literally lied to get the job, but I don't want to go there with that story. Okay. Um, <laughs> But but in, in truth, um, they hired me because even though I didn't have a lot of experience, they thought that I had done play-by-play. That was the lie. There you go. Good lie. You're, you're from the yes school of job application. Yes. They ask you if you've done something, you say yes. Yes, of course. I did the backup games in Terre Haute. Well, do you have a tape? Well, no, they didn't save those. What? <laughs> you know, you, you, and, and the guy that was the general manager at the time, his name was Wally Porso. And he didn't know a thing about sports, not one thing about sports or anything about it. He was kind of a professor. He looked like a professor. Mm -hmm. He uh, he had the glasses, the parted hair, and he smoked a pipe all the time. And he just looked like a professor. And I lied to his face. And and, well, here's the saddest. The the first game that he heard, heard me do. Yeah. He was waiting for me at the radio station when I brought the equipment back to the station that night. I walked into the radio station knowing full well that I was probably going to get fired right? because I was so bad. And my first <laughs> broadcast was the worst you've ever heard. And I do have it, and nobody will ever hear it until I'm dead. <laughs> do you ever go back and listen to it just for fun? I did. I went back and listened to it for the first time maybe about three years ago. And did it crush you? Oh, of course it did. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was pathetic. And I and what I did at that point was I just chastised in it posthumously Wally Porso, the general manager, for ever hiring me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is his fault. This is because it was like it was the worst. I mean, I was absolutely terrible. But I I knew that I needed some help, and I got a guy. I I went to a guy's home, and his name was Art Kimball. Art Kimball, incidentally. Uh, the DePaul Telecommunications Department at DePaul University in Greencastle, mm-hmm. that department is named after Art Kimball. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about this until years later. Wow. But Mr. Kimball uh, was a graduate of DePaul. He was in LaSalle, Peru, which was six, 15 miles to the uh, west of Ottawa. And after I did my first play-by-play, I, I said – well, when I walked in that night to see the general manager, he said, you got three weeks. I thought, well, I'm fired in three weeks. You got to be kidding me. And he's, he goes, if you're not better in three weeks, and I mean dramatically better, 
you're out of here. Whoa. So the next day, this is a Friday night after a football game, the next day on a Saturday, I called up Art Kimball. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. I said, Mr. Kimball, um, I've got the new play-by-play job at Ottawa, Illinois. I said, I've been threatened to be fired because I didn't do a very good job on my first broadcast. I need somebody to give me some insight into what I need to do to get better. I went to his house on a Sunday. He invited me to come over that Sunday. Mm -hmm. I went to his home. He spent five hours with me and sat with me in his living room, showed me how he did all of his stat sheets and, um, and, and how he prepared for a broadcast, what he did for football, what he did for basketball, what he did for baseball, those kinds of things. I took uh, note after note after note. Um, and the stuff that he gave me, and this is the honest-to-God truth, the information that he gave me that, that day is what I've used my entire career. Wow. And I have, haven't changed. I've changed some things, but not very much of what he gave me informationally to get and, ready to do games. And you just cold called him? Like you just were oh, yeah. desperate and knew that you had to do something, and so he was the guy that you knew yep. of and yep. just cold called him? Absolutely. Yep. Wow. I, 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 had, I had guts in those days. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, th- 31 Indiana Sportscaster of the Year Awards later, uh, was there a point where you said, I got this, and I do what I do, and I'm good here, or do you still still try to tweak, still try to evolve uh, your own skill set and your approach to play-by-play? I don't change mu- much anymore. I, you, you always try to get better at what you think you're not very good at, and there are things that I don't think I'm very good at. The, the one thing that I, I really struggle with and, and I've always thought that the real key to being a good play-by-play guy is being able to describe things differently every time. It is so hard to do. Yeah. I mean, you fall into ruts. Uh, you use terms that are the same term constantly, those kinds of things. I, I try to change that part of it up on a consistent basis. It's the hardest thing for a good broadcaster to do because you want to be spontaneous, number one. You don't want to spell it out. Uh, you can't spell out play-by-play anyway. You've got to be spontaneous with it. But your verbiage, uh, how you use it, uh, the lines that you use. Um, every, some people have asked me, well, what's your, uh, what's your staple line? What, what, what? I don't really have one. I mean, right. the one thing that I have said that I've done over the years, probably more than anything else, and stayed with it, and I don't do it as much as I used to, but it's when somebody goes to the free throw line in an important situation, and I used to use the term, he eyes it, flies it, hits, or he eyes, flies, hits. Well, you know, something in that term. That's about the only thing that I've ever used that I think was kind of an original thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, everything else has been copied from somebody else. <laughs> so so you go to Indianapolis, you get this gig, you are now the voice of Indiana University football and basketball. So walk us through a little bit of what that kind of introduction is like, because clearly, as you said, you're trying to do a step up each time. This is a big step up. You're now you're the voice of a program that is not just big for a community. It's big for an entire state and all the alumni who who spread out. And at the same time, 
you're just a couple years into a new era of Indiana University basketball with Coach Knight showing up. So what is that transition like for you? How familiar were you with Indiana University at the time? And how did you dive in to it? Well, this, this will tell you all you need to know about how familiar I was with Indiana University. Um, you know, I come from Illinois, and I was a big University of Illinois fan um, back in the Dave Downey years and, 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 and back in the 60s. Uh, that's kind of who I grew up listening to, or not listening to so much, but watching when I did get a chance to watch on television, those kinds of things. So the University of Illinois was all I really knew. I mean, and, and obviously I followed other teams, uh, other, but mostly professional. You know, back in my day, it was the professional teams that got a lot of, you know, a lot of the publicity and, and television coverage and those kinds of things. Television back in those days didn't have a college game on every night and 10 right. college games on every night, that kind of thing. You were basically limited to if you got to see one game a week at the college level, you were seeing something, you know what I mean? But so, by the way, were you a Cardinals fan? I know you were a Harry Carey fan, but were you a Cardinals no, fan or Cubs fan? No, my brother was a Cardinals fan, and I was a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm. Wow. Now, everybody's and, and now the, see, we're going to go into another story here. I'm just going to take another half an hour. <laughs> that's, a, that's all right. I'm curious. <laughs> was it because I, your brother liked the Cardinals that you wanted someone else? No, it really wasn't. Um, I became a Pirate fan because the first baseball game, first professional baseball game I ever saw, our Little League program went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we got to see the Milwaukee Braves mm. play the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Roberto Clemente, Roberto Clemente. was a rookie. Oh, wow. my God. 19, okay. 19, I get it. Mid-1950s. Roberto's a rookie. I see him go three for five. Score from first on a double. Yep. Wow. Uh, saw him throw a guy out at the plate with a line drive toss from probably about, I think he was only probably 30, maybe 30 feet from the, from the uh, home run area, and he threw a strike mm. to the catcher to throw out a guy at the plate. And I was... I said, I've never seen anything. I mean, I'm 10 years old. <laughs> I get it, though. You see Clemente early on, and that's it. You're smitten. And you, if you ever watched him play, the way he ran, he was fast. and mm -hmm. he, But he had these unbelievable strides, and he kind of was a scatter-leg-type runner guy. Mm. I just fell in love with him. And he became my guy, and the Pirates became my team. And incidentally, I won $3.75 when they played the Yankees in the 1960 World Series, I was a freshman in high school, and they played the uh, games in those days, day games, and it was piped over our study hall speaker system. And, the, and I'm listening to the Pirates, and here Bill Mazeroski hit the home run. I got sent to the principal's office for disrupting the class because <laughs> I jumped up and down as soon as he hit that home run and the Pirates won. I won three bucks, $3.75 in bets on that 1960 <laughs> World Series. It's one of the highlights of my life. And uh, then I got sent to the principal's office and was sitting in the principal's office for like 45 minutes, and the principal finally comes in. And he looks down at me and goes, what are you doing? What, what are you doing here? And I went, well, I got uh, sent down here, sir, because I got a little disruptive in our study hall class when uh, Bill Masrowski had home run for the Pirates <laughs> and beat the Yankees. And he goes, get the hell out of here. <laughs> he was not a Yankee fan. 
Ah, very good. Very good. All right. So back to Indiana, you were saying you knew University of Illinois growing up. Yeah. So I imagine where you're headed is you were not that fond of Indiana University as no. a fan. That wasn't it. Okay. I, that was not it. The reason, the, <laughs> the very, if you go back and listen, and I still have this tape too, to the very first game. And and this is not a knock on Max Gervin. Max was my color commentator for 24 years. But I, <clears throat> when I got the Indiana job in 1973, he was the previous play-by-play guy. Mm. And he was doing it for the IU Alumni Association, which was their – it was kind of a mini-network type thing at that time. If stations wanted to broadcast of the game, they could get the IU broadcast or they could come and originate the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when I when WIRE got the broadcast rights, they had exclusivity, Ooh. and therefore it was going to be one play-by-play guy, one color man, that kind of thing. It was nobody else was going to be able to do the games. So when I got the gig, Max got shoved to the color position, mm. and he was not. And I'm not disparaging him in any way because I would have felt exactly the same way. But he was knocked out of the play-by-play position into color and I don't think he was real happy about it and I don't blame him at any rate long story short the reason that this is the reason that he probably didn't say anything in the first game that I did but in the very first game that I did which was 1973 Lee Corso was the first year coach and his very first game and you remember the stories about the the big red buses that brought the team down uh, literally before kick, just before kickoff after telling everybody for a week, two weeks before the game, you need to get there. I mean, Lee Corso was sitting there, and he was a promoter, as you know. Yeah. And Lee Corso was promoting the heck out of this ball game. He said, you need to be there at least an hour before game time. Watch us warm up all this kind of – well, they never warmed up. At the stadium, they and everybody's sitting in the stands an hour before the <clears throat> ball game, <clears throat> and they they did not warm up. They literally were at the soccer fields warming up uh, at at Yegley Field, and they were up there warming up there. And they brought these two big red double decker buses down, mm-hmm. and and Corso leads them off the buses out to the field, you know, and everybody's going nuts. But this is also a kickoff time, and they'd never seen Indiana even warm up. They were watching <laughs> Illinois warm up, and that's who Indiana played was the oh, University wow. of, uh, of Illinois. So this is what happened. So, oh, incidentally, here's the other little tidbit uh, from that ball game. Corso's team got a five-yard penalty for being late for the kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> Not kidding you. Ominous beginnings. I mean, has that ever happened? Like, it probably has not happened for Indiana since. Well, you know, I was new to the position, so I'm thinking maybe this stuff happens all the time. But, <laughs> but the whole the whole point of the matter is, when we're doing the broadcast, the first three or four times of, and I did this in my pregame show once. I did it maybe twice in the first half of the ball game. I called Indiana University. University of Indiana. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh, that's how little you knew <laughs> about you. Indiana University. Thank you, boys and girls. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, who do you remember being corrected? Like, who corrected oh, you? At halftime, we got a phone call from the radio station, WYRE, <laughs> the station I work for. <laughs> and they said, um, you uh, called uh, Indiana University, University of, uh, University of Indiana, uh, at least three times in the first half. I went, 
So? <laughs> I said, no, I knew immediately that I screwed up. But you know what? I had a color commentator there who was a uh, with the Alumni Association. He let you go. And he let me go. <laughs> Why? I was getting punished, big boys. Uh, oh, man, you were getting hazed. You were getting yeah. hazed. Uh, he he did not t- he never said a word to me the only reason I the only reason I didn't ever call Indiana University University of Indiana again was because at halftime I got the phone call and it was not a happy one and I knew at that point don't screw up again you may be out of here wow <laughs> unbelievable so as you are acclimating like you're living in Bloomington right do you move to Bloomington or are you in Indianapolis I have never lived in Bloomington. Everybody thinks that I live in Bloomington, and I've never lived in Bloomington because I was the sports director for WIRE Radio in Indianapolis. When the broadcast went to that radio station, uh, I was hired to be the sports director, not just the play-by-play voice of IU, but the primary job would be IU. Sure. But the other responsibilities as a sports director and the radio station, and I actually set up High school games. Uh, I did Butler games back in t- for the first two or three years that I wow. did IU um, because we were trying to add lots of sports to our package. And that was always what I wanted to do. I wanted to do as much play-by-play as possible so I didn't have to do anything else. Yeah. Um, uh, and literally, they, they allowed me to do as much, just about as much as I wanted to at that point in time. And we did some, we did a lot of high school games. We did um, uh, Butler. Uh of course, we did the Speedway, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the month of May. You're out there all month long. I hated that place. And people who <laughs> love racing are going to go say, what do you mean you hated that place? Um, it was just, to me, racing was not that big a deal. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, I know it's a big deal, and I know it's unbelievable at, in Indianapolis. But it, to me, it was just another part of the job. It wasn't the most important part. Sure. And, um, and so that's kind of how I treated it, too. So, uh, but, but that said, that's, that, that was the job as sports director at WIRE. And, and um, uh, I had to do a lot of different things there, but it was a great experience. And the people I worked for there for the 14 years that I was there, it was just phenomenal. It was a great radio station. The management was tremendous, especially at the beginning. It slid a little bit at the end. Uh, but the experience was tremendous, and the radio station was great, and I became an independent contractor in 1987, mm. um, and I've been an independent contractor ever since. So let's let's go back to that first year. You're covering Lee Corso's first year at, at Indiana, and then, of course, football season gives way to basketball season. Do you remember meeting Coach Knight for the first time? And and yeah. it's, it's, I think, hard for people. We, we do this a lot. You know, when we talk to people um, who knew Coach, like when you knew him or first knew him, before he became Coach Knight, if you will, the way that we all know him now. And so it's hard for us to even picture this guy that isn't the legend. But what was your first encounter with him, your first impression? Well, again, it involves Max Skirvin. Okay. <laughs> I, had <not> met, <clears throat> I had not met Coach Knight. My <clears> – sorry – I need a little drink of water. No, sure. Go for it. I had not met Coach Knight. Um, This is in October. They always had a Big Ten tip-off luncheon or a Indiana tip-off luncheon, and they used to have it initially at the Columbia Club downtown on the circle. Okay. So 
Don Luft, who was the president of the varsity club at that time, Don Luft contacted me and said, um, they're having this tip-off luncheon at Columbia Club. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. He said, uh, "How would you want to meet Coach Knight then? I said, Ab- absolutely, because Don, Don Luft was not only the varsity club director, he was the my spotter for football. Mm, okay. He had volunteered to be a spotter, and he was my spotter for football. So um, I said, yeah, that'd be great. I said, we can go up there, and, and can you introduce me to him? And he says, absolutely. As soon as the pro, as we're done with this speaking engagement, I'll introduce you. So Don Luff comes, picks me up um, with Max Skirvin. And Max, of course, go, well, goes to all these events. He's an, part of the Alumni Association, and that's still part of his job. And they, that's part of the reason they kept Max in that color analyst position because the university wanted his – everybody knew who Max was because he'd done the play-by-play for six years, and he had this reputation throughout the state as an Alumni Association guy, and he went to these alumni functions and all this kind of stuff all over. So they wanted to keep him as a part of the broadcast because of his familiarity with everything that was going on. Sure. So, Max, that's how he stayed in the position as the color analyst at that point in time. So, anyway, he and Luft, they pick me up. We go to the Columbia Club. We go up there. Knight wows the crowd, as he always does, in any speaking engagement that essentially that he ever had. He was phenomenal if he wanted to be. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he was phenomenal that day. There was no question. It was really, really fun, and everybody was all excited. You know, this is his third year, my first his third year, and uh, they'd come off the NCAA tournament the previous season. They got beat by UCLA on the controversial Steve Downing foul call yeah. that knocked him out of the ball game, that kind of thing. And at any rate, um, so we're so night gets done, and there's you know people up there. They want to surround him and all this kind of stuff and autograph and all that kind of get pictures, the whole thing. And finally, he gets done with everybody, and Max and and Luft and I are standing there waiting for him to get done. And finally, it happens that the the last person start or he starts to walk away, and the people kind of flood away from him. And Luft goes, "Coach, coach, I want you. To, I want to introduce you to somebody." And so we walk over there, and Coach uh, Knight stands there for a second, and Luft goes, "Coach, I want you to meet the new radio play-by-play guy for Indiana. He's doing doing the football now. He'll be doing the basketball games this fall or this winter." <laughs> and I stuck out my hand. He shakes my hand. He sees Max standing there at the same time. He doesn't say, well, welcome to Indiana or we're looking forward to working with you or anything like that. He shakes my hand, doesn't say a word, doesn't even look at me, basically. And then he grabs Max Gervin, puts his arm around him, and he walks away. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, "Uh uh-oh, I'm chopped liver. Yeah, no (laughs) kidding. So he, because Max had worked with him the first two years that he'd done the games, and so he's feeling, I don't know if he was feeling bad for Max or he just wanted to put me in my place, whatever the case may be. And I'm a punk. I mean, I'm 26 years old. I got stringy, stupid hair, uh, you know, like that era did. Um, And in... you're just uncomfortable. I mean, it it totally makes you uncomfortable. And then, of course, I have a boss. My general manager tells me, you know, when I got the job, you're going to be working with the basketball coach. Lee Corso is a great guy. He's 
bubbly, all this kind of stuff, and you won't have any problem with him. He says, you're going to be working with a basketball coach that's not going to be the easiest to work with. <laughs> and your job is to get a pregame interview with him for every single game. So you're going to – because we're paying him to do it, number one. And number two, we have to have this interview, and obviously it's part of the broadcast. So you're going to get an interview with him for every game. He knows that he's going to do it, you know. So He's just going to make you work for it. But, it, well, and I had to work for it for 27 years. for <laughs> Every single one. It was amazing. But nevertheless, uh, I mean, obviously things loosened up a little bit as we went through it. But it took – it took a few years just to, to make him feel com- – for me to feel comfortable around him and vice versa. Um, he was he always made things more difficult than they needed to be. <laughs> what, what do you was, think I, that I was? I was – I'm wondering if there was a moment where you felt a breakthrough, where, like, not necessarily that it became – easy and you know sunshine and lollipops after that but was there a moment where you felt like he'd sort of accepted you as part of uh his world that that was probably 10 15 years later (laughs) (laughs) no i mean the truth of the matter was you were if you ever got really comfortable you were in trouble Mm -mm. because if he sensed that that i mean and, and and again this would I was never what I would consider good friends with Bob Knight. Right. I was somebody that he finally learned to respect and and knew that I was just doing my job and vice versa. I, I mean, we never were – now, I went to dinner with a grouping of guys all the time. The coach invited me to go, so I was allowed to go, you know, when they'd go to uh, Columbus or Minnesota or someplace, wherever we were on the road – uh, sometimes you would be invited to go to dinner with that group of guys, Coach Knight, his assistants, uh, two or three of his uh, hangers-on or or people that he knew in those pre- yeah. respective cities, things like that. So there would be a group of eight to 15 people, you know, at some of these dinners that, that I was invited to go to. I didn't get to go every time, but I got to go to several of them through the years, and it was fun. We had a great time, and I knew all the assistants, and, and here's the <laughs> – Here's what all the assistants would do when they had these big dinners. Um, <laughs> there would be two or three people that Coach Knight would invite that he would want to sit around and be with. Well, these coaches all went to the opposite end of the table. <laughs> because, first of all, they wanted to order beer. And, right. and they wanted to order beer or whatever they wanted to drink. And, and Coach Knight didn't drink. And and, right. and I don't think the only thing I ever saw Coach Knight drink in all the years that I was around him he would drink sangria every now and then. Really? That's the only thing I ever saw him drink. And I, what was the name of the – you remember the railroad car? You guys probably are not old enough. There was, they had a restaurant in Indianapolis. They had two of them, actually, at one point in time. And they were old freight cars or some kind of a train car, a caboose or something. Hmm. And I can't think of the name of, of that right now. But we went to this one night. And the, the closest thing that I ever saw Coach Knight get a little little fun, having fun with it, was this night where he was drinking sangria. And he was drinking sangria, and he was drinking a lot of it. <laughs> and, 
and I've never seen him in a better mood, ever. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Um, look, we only have a few more minutes with you um, on this part one, but after the season ends, we're going to do a part two because we have so much more that we want to talk to you about. It's just a joy. But uh, to kind of end our first part, you know, obviously you grew up a sports fan. You grew up playing sports. You grew up loving University of Illinois and professional sports. You're in Indiana now. You do football, but now you're doing basketball. And it just means something different, as you well know, more than anyone. When did that hit you um, as, as a guy that, that now is becoming synonymous with the product and, and you hold a very important place in the hearts and minds of Indiana fans? Did, did it hit you early on how important this job was to so many people? There's no question. I mean, what, the interesting thing was when I was doing the first football games and that kind of thing, I thought that was pretty big. I, I really did. And then I went to my first Indiana basketball game at Assembly Hall, mm. and I went, oh, this is different. Mm. And, and, and honestly, so from the very beginning, I knew that basketball was a different ball game uh, because here's the thing. When I got here, um, I knew basketball was big in Indiana, but basketball was big in Illinois. Sure. Um, I mean, these two states at that time were probably the best two basketball states in the country. I, and I mean that. I mean, those t- Illinois and Indiana were humongous basketball states. And we all had one-class systems, as you know. Yeah. And it was just important at the high school level. It was important at the college level. Uh, it wasn't nearly that big from an NBA perspective at that time. Uh, right. Because it, it just wasn't. Yeah. I mean, the right. ABA at that time, exactly. So from a professional standpoint, it wasn't near. But at the college level and at the high school level, basketball was king. And so I knew and, and as soon as I, I did my first basketball game at IU, and my first basketball game uh, was the Citadel. Um, and Indiana played the Citadel in the very first game. And incidentally, <laughs> Uh, Indiana beat the Citadel, I think, by maybe 18 points, 16, 18 points in that ball game. Indiana had 33 turnovers in that Whoa. game. <laughs> 33 turnovers. And I asked, I have asked Steve Offeld this many years ago, but he was on that team. Steve Offeld, who was uh, the orthopedic yeah. director for Indiana, mm-hmm. for Indiana basketball, I said, well, what was that like that week after you guys uh, uh, beat the Citadel by, what, 16, 18 points, and, and then you had 33 turnovers? He goes, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but that was the first game that I did, and I knew uh, immediately how big Indiana basketball was. Uh, so it, it took me no time to figure that one out. Well, this is a, a wonderful setup for part two. Uh now, are we allowed to call you Don, or should we just stick with Mr. Fisher? Oh, sir, sir is fine. Fish? Fish. Oh, Don, fish. I don't you care. went for it. God, I never would have said that. So because <laughs> we feel like if we get to call people by their nicknames, it means we're friends. And there is there is nothing uh, that would be a bit greater accomplishment in our lives to tell people that we're friends with fish. So that's what we're <laughs> going to start doing. I just want you to be aware that that is what's going to happen. Well, you got to watch who your friends are, guys. Uh, you know, <laughs> apparently, you don't have any. You know, your standards aren't very high. They're no, not. I mean, they're, uh, look high. who I came in here with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
listen, Fish, it we have been wanting to talk to you for well ever, ever, ever. ever. Yes, and uh, you are our most requested person to have on this show. We've done over 150, 160 episodes. And your name comes up every single week of people saying, yeah, this episode was great. When are you going to have fish on? So um, we couldn't think of a better way to launch our new partnership with Learfield and, and the whole family than having you on. You, you are synonymous with Indiana University athletics and especially the basketball program, which means so much to so many people, including us. You, you are our eyes and ears and the voice of Indiana and you make Indiana basketball better. You simply do. Well, and we can't thank you enough for, for that. And can't wait to hopefully win tonight and then watch all the highlights with your voice on the highlights when they get rid of the TV guys. That's what we like to do. Yep. Um, but I just want to say, you know, personally, thank you. Thank you for, for what you've done for Indiana University over the years. Uh, you are a, a treasure. Very kind of you guys. I really appreciate it. Obviously, this was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I look forward to part two. That was a guest. That was a guest. How great is it to just hear his voice, like talking to us regularly? Yeah, that that's what was so trippy, right? Because it's either he's asking these great questions of the guests on his show, or he's doing just the greatest play-by-play in the history of sports. So... For him just to be casually recounting these fond memories, it's such a treat. It's such a treat, and it is trippy for sure. It, it is. And, I, yeah, I, that's a great way to to describe it because as he's talking, I'm like, yeah, yeah, keep telling that story. Like, I'm going to get excited. Like, here comes the punchline. Like, he's going to land this plane, unlike two untrained idiots like us who just take off and have no idea how to land the damn thing. I mean, like, honestly, of like three or four times I've set up you to do the intro where I've just totally fumbled it. And it was like, great, great. I just totally misspoke. It's the first impression Fish has of my dumbass is just talking bad. <laughs> Look, Ward, people know when they come on the show, they're going to talk to two dumbasses. So it doesn't matter what we do. They're starting with the lowest possible expectations. I'm, I'm glad. Who's ever setting that expectation for them? Thank you. The thing that I was most um, taken by, and this is true with any conversation, really with anyone who's at any like cool place in their life, is the number of weird crazy coincidences, events that have to take place and do take place to get the person into that spot. And when you look back on it, you go, oh, yeah, it's inevitable that he would become the voice of Indiana. But no, it was not inevitable. This is a guy who didn't know it was Indiana University. He thought <laughs> yeah. it was University of Indiana. But the number of places he had to go from Butte, Montana, you know, as a DJ, which led to all these things, it's just remarkable, and we get to be the uh, fortunate, like, byproduct of all these happy coincidences and decisions that he made in his life. It's such an interesting life and career path for a lot of these folks. And as you know, my my dear friend from high school, Jeremiah Johnson, I remember he graduates from Ball State, and he's got to go to Paducah, Kentucky. You know, and then you're hustling and you're sending tapes and then he gets the call up to where Terre Haute 
And so, mm. you know, bigger market, you know, moving his way up, not a lateral move. You got to you got to go up a rung and then on to Indianapolis. And it is it requires such dedication, especially in the early years when nobody's watching, nobody's listening. You really have to love the thing and you really have to be developing your craft in that time. So when the call comes, you're ready. And clearly, despite thinking it was University of Indiana, Fish Fish had figured it out. So it, it seemed like, you know, at 26, to be selected out of almost 300 candidates, I I would love to know what was in the hiring process, like what they heard in Fish. Because, yeah, you could say he was just the, 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 uh, the top person on the pile. Clearly it wasn't. That there was something already exceptional about fish at 26 years of age that that made him say him he is going to be the voice of indiana university football and basketball a gifted gifted man who put in the work to get himself there totally and then you think about all the things that were totally out of his control like stations getting bought and changing formats that forced him out you know i i think that moment where he came back after his first game and he was terrible and his boss gave him three weeks to get better. And he just makes that cold call mm-hmm. to a guy who can do it. And what if that guy wasn't home when he called him? Right. Right. Like what if he had something to do that day that, you know, had an appointment, had a party to go to, had something set up with a family and couldn't spend five hours with fish that day to get him better. Where would fish be? Like you just think about those little moments and all of those little things led to him being the greatest play-by-play guy in the history of sports, as far as we're concerned. And it's just, it is sliding sliding uh, doors. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, I'm obsessed with this idea of inevitability that like, you think because something happened, it was inevitable to happen. Well, no, it was not inevitable that Don Fisher would be 50 years at Indiana University. And those first four or five years where he's moving all over the country and thinking about going to Oregon, like it all leads to to this. The story of Knight, um, the first meeting with Knight is just so perfectly Coach Knight. Right. Yeah. 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 I just that. And but in in a way where you're also like, geez, man, couldn't you have been nice to fish? Like fish didn't do anything wrong. He's just like trying to do his thing, man. But it was about loyalty. Right. Yes. It that, was him being that, nice to the other guy. Yeah. That that's it was, who he was really loyal about that Max, this is my guy. He's been doing this with this. He's been a part of this family. And I'm I'm sh- and we know nothing is more important to Coach Knight than loyalty. And I'm sure if some young whippersnapper came along, you know, 30 years later to, to push Fish out, that Knight would have put his arm around Fish. Totally agree. Um, man, I just can't wait till we get to do part two. There's so much more, like, now we get to the 76 season, you know, covering. Oh, like, I'm, like I'm, this is, like, the, I mean, in terms of, we all want to get to know fish as, as a human being. Right. And this has already been so great to set up who he was pre IU, but like 
Now we've got 50 years of picking his brain about IU sports. I think it's either part two is going to be nine hours or we need like parts two through six. This is going to be our Ken Burns. This is going to be this is our (laughs) Ken Burns documentary on Don Fisher. This is going to be multiple parts. Yeah, I love it. it. And honestly, the best way for us to kick off our partnership with Learfield and the Varsity Podcast Network. Uh, we couldn't be happier to be part of this family now. We hope that, you're downloaded, that you've downloaded the Varsity Podcast app. You can get it on the Apple App Store. You can get it on the Android Store. Uh, you can listen to our podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just search for the Hoosier Hysterics podcast. You can watch our video podcast on pigs.com. We, it'll be available uh, the day after this launches on the audio side of things. And uh, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But But sometimes why? I feel like you're slowing that down. I feel like it's. I feel like you're slowing it down. No, I'm slowing it. Maybe it's the lag in Zoom that I'm like, God, he's still. I got to go slower. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it normal speed. Okay. Follow us on Twitter. At Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but the sometimes why. Oh, that was that was like micro machines, man. That's the fastest you've ever done it. Yeah, I know. I said I'm just going to speak normally. I, I thought you meant the normal speed for doing that. Right, let me try one more time. Okay. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why. why. Boom. See, Boom. on my side, you're way behind me. Oh, to me, that was perfectly synced up. Well, you're going to be the master of editing, so let's see how it comes out when you uh, put it in your Google box or whatever the hell you do with it. (laughs) What, are you 80 years old? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Uh, All right, man, that was a fun one. Fish is the man, and he is our friend. Fish. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.